Welcome to The Last American Vagabond. Joining me again today is Derek Bros to discuss some of his recent work, some of his upcoming projects that we're currently fundraising for, and some other really interesting overlaps that we've been talking about a lot over the last couple of years. Always a pleasure to have you on, Derek. How are you, brother? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, you've been doing some really excellent work, some really important kind of peripheral, like I, as audience well knows, I've been very nose down in, in, in the, the Israel-Gaza conflict. But there's so much else going on. There always really is. And what I keep trying to highlight, I mean, pretty much in every topic I cover, but in particular with this one, is how much these seem to overlap and intertwine, whether it's just simply what that kind of a war situation will do to other circumstances, what happens beneath them, around them that no one's paying attention to, but more so just the connections of these governments and what they've been doing and how interconnected all of this is. So it's just really fascinating. And so let, let's start with one of these, I think, that really does kind of talk about the global, like where a lot of these agendas are leading, might be leading, or might be used to accomplish something around this. And you recently discussed this. is This is called uh, COP28 Comes to an End. What does 2024 hold for the globalist gatherings? So uh, first of all, just, you know, how are you? What's going on? Start wherever you want. But this, I think this is such an interesting global conversation. Let me ask you that right out of the gate. Do you think that these conversations, whether it's Gaza or even the smaller things, people talk about the burning of larger food processing plants or Lahaina or East Palestine. Do you think these things all interconnect in some way to the larger agenda, the great reset, climate change? Um, I do. I mean, I don't, currently have the evidence for every one of those different situations you mentioned there. I know that mm -hmm. yourself and some others have spent more time on it. Like for example, the Lahaina thing, I really didn't dive into it. I saw some things on the periphery and I've been gathering my research on the Israel Gaza situation. Obviously you've been doing great work on that every day. Um, I do think though, it's the way I tend to think about these things is like, for example, when COVID started, when the COVID you know, announcement of we have this new alleged virus and people are getting locked down and all this stuff, my immediate skeptical mind was just like, okay, this could be a real event. I'm not one of the people that think that everything in the world is staged. Everything's a false mm -hmm. flag or everything's crisis actors. I do think they, those things do happen, but you know, I'm, I'm not just somebody that's like immediately fake, fake. I like to sit back and kind of watch, but with COVID it became more and more apparent that if this was a random event, a natural, whatever, you know, just kind of spontaneous of life, spontaneousness of life happening, then these people being the predator class, World Economic Forum, UN, et cetera, just must be the luckiest people in the world, right? Because <laughs> this random event allegedly just, you know, they had no planning, forget event 201, just happened to check off all the boxes for these agendas that they have, like digital IDs, being able to restrict travel, being able to gain more control for governments, all those different things. So I kind of use that as a filter when I'm looking at any situation. I might not have the document that says, we're doing this to fulfill our plans for Agenda 2030 or the Great Reset. But when you can look at the way events are unfolding and you can see like, wow, this clearly serves their agendas. Like this clearly is pushing mm -hmm. climate change narrative or pushing us further into a digital world or digital identities or internet IDs or, and, and whether that's like the cyber attack claims or all this other stuff, like that's kind of the way I look at it. When you see a situation, even if it seems skeptical, you might not have the evidence to say, hey, this is fake, this is engineered, this is a false flag, whatever. But when you can see that whatever incident it is, is helping progress their agendas, it's at least a reason to remain skeptical. And kind of in the old school 9-11 truth community, people would uh, argue about whether it was my hop or lie hop. My hop mm -hmm. means made it happen on purpose or let it happen on purpose. And I kind of put a lot of things that we see unfolding, including the Israel situation recently, in one of those categories, right? It's like, 
you know, they, they don't have control of everything. There is spontaneity in our world that does exist. There are natural unfolding events. And yet we know with the Israel situation alone, they have one of the biggest uh, apparatus of multiple intelligence networks in the world. And so they definitely have a bit more information than the average person. And if they knew certain things were going to happen and they decide, hey, let's never let a good crisis go to waste or mm -hmm. let's engineer a crisis so it helps us progress our goals, then they're going to take those opportunities. You know, So we don't necessarily right. need all the hard evidence to, to be able to know for certain. But yeah, I try to approach it from that point, viewpoint. Like, is this situation, mm -hmm. is this new crisis that they're telling us, is it advancing their agenda? Well, then we should probably be skeptical of it. Right, right, exactly. But at the same time, not assume because of that, that it's the opposite, right? Or like, this is sure. the thing that I really keep, I, it's, I'm seeing really pronounced right now, which is whether whatever your topic you're discussing, it's that kind of like old dynamic that like, if the media says it, the opposite's true. And it's like, maybe at one point, I mean, and still even today, there's sometimes that lines up, but it's amazing to me that the average person who pushes that can't step back and go like, don't you think they're aware of that dynamic and they can't just play the reverse on against I think them. that's that's very shallow thinking sometimes. Yeah. And I know we, we've had this conversation before over the years, but especially in the online internet, freedom, truth, whatever you want to say, community, I see that a lot. And I think I kind of place the blame on the shoulders of Donald Trump for that because, you know, for whatever credit people want to give Trump for quote unquote exposing the corporate media as if some of us weren't around doing that before. But in reality, when Trump came along and he started attacking the media, which is, I think, ultimately a positive thing, but he did it in a way of like attacking the fake news, attacking the fake news and really convincing a large portion of the, the population that anything that comes out of CNN, Fox, MSNBC, et cetera, is absolutely fake, absolutely lies. And that's just not true. I mean, mm -hmm. we can we can find stories that are on those mainstream corporate websites and we can verify them in other places. And we can choose whether or not you share a Washington Post link or some other outlet. But absolutely, there is now a portion of the population that assumes everything that comes out of the mainstream must be lies, especially if it is bad about Trump. Mm -hmm. And then the opposite must be true, that everything comes from, you know, QAnon channels or whatever must be must be fact. Right. And neither one of those things are accurate 100 percent of the time. The mainstream doesn't mm -hmm. always just outright lie. Sometimes they leave out important details. They obfuscate in very tricky ways. And sometimes the alternative media is just flat out wrong and incorrect or people making up things. And other times we're ahead of the curve and we are reporting on things before the mainstream even acknowledge them. So it's just it has to come back to like rooting yourself in a foundation of critical thinking. Right. Well, I think what everything you said there all happens all the time. Right. There's almost always somebody in the independent field that's usually that almost always ahead in some way. There's almost always people in that field that are making up things because it worked, you know, whether they believe it or not. It all happens simultaneously. It's so interesting. It's almost like getting ahead of the Twitter files in that regard, where the earliest example was that kind of dynamic where you're, you know, you're supposed to assume based on, you know, these binary dynamics. What, what I keep seeing happen in this specific discussion around well, in, any of these really, well, I, I guess specifically from Gaza's sake, perspective, perspective in that conversation is that we're being led into world war three, which is obviously a, a, we definitely should be asking this. And is that, and that, but even in that part of it, that could be for other reasons because they're taking advantage or that might've always been the plan. But even then that doesn't mean that what's being exposed about Israel right now, which is almost unprecedented in the corporate media, how everyone's going. Yeah. I mean, Joe Biden is now saying you're bombing indiscriminately. Like it's very CNN goes in and starts calling out how they're killing children. It's like, yeah, trust me. I'm like, what the hell is happening right now? But it's it is still, a weird I, thing. But I still acknowledge the point that what I think they're highlighting is true. And back to your point, 
is that the most important manipulations in history and always the ones that are most effective are usually the 90% truth, 10% lie, that most important sure. lie. And that's the bigger point right there, I think. And so bringing this back to the, the COP28 point, right? And so whether or not this is, all of this was executed to achieve X, Y, and Z, that we still have to acknowledge what's happening. But I don't think that's what's happening. So I think a lot of these independent things are happening. They're all being used to drive us to this larger agenda, right? So how do you see that sure. playing out in its own sense? So obviously, if you want to pull in the larger agendas of the world, but going back to your article, COP28, yeah. where is this going so, and how does it connect in your mind? Yeah, so I, I wanted to, I'm glad we started out where we did because I haven't really publicly made a lot of comments on Israel. So I appreciate just the opportunity to share some of my thoughts. Um, but I wanted to put this article together because for those who don't know, we just wrapped up last week, I think it was last Wednesday, uh, the COP28, which is stands for the Conference of the Parties, the 28th meeting. They started this in 1992 uh, when there was the infamous Rio-Brazil meeting where we really first saw the kind of mainstream public unveiling of the environmental movement and talk of climate change and things like that. So here we are for the 28th meeting. They met for, I think it's a 30-day meeting, uh, at least two weeks. No, actually it was two weeks, November 30th to I think December 12th or 13th. And so you had more almost 200 officials from different nations and different, um, you know, just, well, for one, I want to say this, I didn't even get into this in the article, but James Corbett made this really good point recently in one of his sub stacks that for one, when you understand the language COP28, Conference of the Parties, right? So they're not saying the Conference of the Nations, the Conference mm -hmm. of the States. They're kind of using some legalese and word magic here to refer to the nations that are signing on board for these agreements. They are parties, right? So they're not even saying like the United States as a nation has agreed to this. They're just saying, oh, the, the, the parties, the parties who are party to this agreement, right? Mm -hmm. and, and there's definitely some kind of legalese happening there, which I think is setting up a bigger picture, which I'll talk about in just a moment. But I just want to make that clear. So when they talk about conference of the parties, they mean the United States, Brazil, India, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They're just not saying it in those words. The signatories of the agreements, the parties, the conference of the parties, like this is the way they, they like to play those kind of word games. Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, they had this big meeting. And the reason this one was particularly uh, important compared to previous years, those who've been following my reporting or our previous interviews, Ryan, remember that back in, I think it was April or May, I wrote an article highlighting the fact that UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres had put out a statement kind of basically complaining, saying we're falling behind on the SDGs. We're only going to achieve 12% of them at the rate we're going now. And we need, they called for two things, an SDG stimulus where all the nations need to commit billions of dollars more to achieving the SDG Sustainable Development Goals Agenda 2030. And then he also called for the SDG summit, which took place in New York City this September. So just a couple months ago, they got together. And again, they brought together hundreds of representatives from different nations to recommit and say, like, OK, mm -hmm. for, we're at the we're at the halfway point now. We launched Agenda 2030 in 2015. Here we are in 2023. We've only got seven years left. Like we need the world to recommit. And so they're they're kind of they're playing up this language. And on one hand, as I write in this article that we're looking at here, you know, there might be some temptation to kind of like celebrate like, look, oh, the U.N.'s crying because they're falling behind. I actually think this might be some form of this 40 chest that everybody always talks about where they're kind of publicly lamenting like, hey, we're falling behind. We're not going to reach our goals. But in fact, that might be just another ploy to get sympathy from the public, you know, to get the right. public who, who does believe in the climate change narrative. Or let's say the younger generations who feel so strongly about this because they've been told by Greta and others that the world's about to end in the next couple of years, that 
oh my God, the United Nations is even complaining. We're not going to achieve the goals, guys. We're falling behind. And then my expectation will be in the coming years when they want to do more extreme measures and tighter restrictions. Well, they're going to have already kind of laid the foundation to get the public to be receptive to this. You know what I mean? Like if the public's yeah. already believing like we're not going to achieve these goals, well, okay, maybe we shouldn't drive anymore. Maybe I shouldn't eat any more meat. Like the public will kind of be primed for the more, you know, because we've heard it from officials where they said this net zero green transition is going to be painful, but right. it's necessary, right? So I think that by kind of building this public narrative of, oh my God, we're falling behind. We need the whole world to recommit. They had the SDG summit in September. Now they've had COP28. And of course, and I said this in another previous article, they hold these events. This one is in Dubai, United Arab Emirates, not necessarily a place known for human rights or right. for anything like that. But of course, they, they need the oil producing nations to come on board for whatever they've got planned. And I didn't put this in the article, but it's also interesting that COP28 was held at a place that's called Expo City in Dubai. And Expo City is a 15 minute city. It's, it's slated wow. to be a 15 minute city that is being built there. So you kind of got that connection in there as well. But overall, this article, I wanted to do a recap of COP28 and then to kind of preview for everybody what's coming in 2024, because I do think 2024 is going to be a really instrumental year. I'll talk more about that in a second. But as far as what they concluded with COP28, you know, they probably wanted it to go even further. But what they got these nearly 200 nations to agree with, and this is the UN's own words, you can find the links I shared in the article, they said quote this is the beginning of the end of the fossil fuel era like so mm -hmm. they got all the nations to agree to like that simple statement and it's interesting the way that the un wrote it i noticed that they didn't just write it like you would write a normal sentence where you know the first letters capitalized and the rest are lowercase they capitalized beginning and they capitalized end as if mm -hmm. it's like a specific phrase like this is the beginning of the end of the fossil fuel era and that was on the un's website so i thought <laughs> even simple things like that are really telling because it lets you know that that might be a phrase we start to hear more often, the beginning yeah. of the end of the fossil fuel, the beginning of the end. Or I wouldn't be surprised if those if that terminology starts popping up. So they got nearly 200 nations to recommit billions of more dollars to accelerating the net zero, sustainable transition, et cetera. And basically, they're just moving the ball forward a little bit. Like that's all the, mm -hmm. I, what I think we're witnessing and what we have been witnessing for decades now, but especially at this crucial moment, six years, we're on the, you know, about to hit, hit 2024, six years away from 2030. These people have set 2030 as their goal and in a bigger goal of 2050. But so they're they're really pumping this up. And COP28 ended with that strong agreement, the end of the fossil fuel era. And now we're looking forward to the World Economic Forum in January. You got the World Bank meeting, I think, in February or, or March or April. You got the World Health Organization meeting for their pandemic agreement that's supposed to be renewed in may and then in september of next year you've got the summit of the future where they're talking about they're going to have all the world leaders sign the pact of the future like i don't think these are small agreements that are taking place i really believe that they are prepping us for uh plans for what they have uh for what they're calling a planetary emergency and i can talk more yeah. about that in a <clears throat> i agree i mean th this is such a concerning I i'm just looking for the uh the world government summit kind of just page so people can see that it's so it's so interesting how let me just look up for WEF, how they can have these statements like this. You know, the world get that was you pointed this out in one of your articles, how the World Economic Forum can, you know, how they can have these meetings where it literally says the world government summit at the at, as the meeting point. And we don't and people dismiss that's even possible or even what they're discussing. You know, one thing I want to include in this is that it's so it's, it's so interesting how 
the whole point, like the good example is how they'll all fly their jets to these locations and then criticize everybody else for using fossil fuels is we already have examples. This, this was on 2020. This was February, 2022. And the whole point of this article, you could read it. I've covered it in the past was that they were rationalizing the use of oil, nuclear weapons, and what else was it? Uh, fossil fuels in general, as long as you're using it in the interest of fighting for freedom, then it's ESG compliant. Like that's, that's literally what the article discusses. Well, we, we have to use oil and weapons because, well, we fight for freedom and in doing so we make the world better in that way. So it, it's like, my God, like it's just such a blatant ploy, you know? And so the bigger point for me, the thought process and all this is I'm of the mind that going back to that article you mentioned, this one here in regard to them worrying, like saying, okay, we haven't met it. I actually, my, my gut tells me this is probably more real than it's not that they're at a point where. I mean, it's obvious you can look at China, for example, or other countries that aren't even even remotely going in that direction. And so you could tell that it's going to become, even if everyone they agree with or is in their plan goes along with it, it's still going to end up becoming like this world war scenario where they have to feel the argument is they have to force China's hand. But otherwise, we're all going to die. Like you see where that goes. So my thought is that this is sort of like we're not doing it. People aren't meeting their obligations, almost like a scare tactic to drive people into doing it. And I really think that it's not ever really about meeting these goals. You know what I mean? Like I agree. I yeah. At the top level, I think they know this is not really about saving the planet. And so really, it's Absolutely. just about driving action in this sense, you know? And so that brings it back to the whole larger point about the climate change central role in all this, which is an illusion. Like, I, I don't even know how we're not really engaging with that, honestly. I guess it's just like with the COVID-19 game where the evidence has been there. It's staggeringly obvious. And we all just kind of argue with these screamers online about it. But the reality of the carbon, I mean, if we're still allowing them to use these things as the largest polluters and we're the ones being carbon taxed, we put gas in our car. It's obvious. It's not going to make any effect on it, you know? So how, how yeah. good, good. You know, yeah, I was going to say like, I mean, well, I think, I think you're correct that the, this is probably, there is some reality that they are not achieving their goals. I definitely think that that's true. You know, what I was saying earlier, and I think you're kind of uh, adding to it as well, is like that they're, they're not meeting their goals and they know that, and there is, there is truth to that. And at the same time, they're going to use that to scare up and drum up mm -hmm. as much like we're falling behind. We, this is why we need to go more fast and we need to do extreme governments need to do, you know, green new deal, whatever. And we already know that there's a portion of the population who has accepted fully all of the things that they're told about climate change. like And kind of like you were saying a moment ago too, this is one of the issues I have with uh, even writing about climate change because similar to COVID, right. you know, it's like, do I want to spend every article, every time I mention COVID saying, by the way, guys, here's all the reasons you shouldn't trust COVID. You know, it, it, it becomes an exercise of its own just to communicate these things and every single means. And obviously our work reaches a lot of people so that it might find a person who's like fully on board with the climate um, change narrative. I have a lot of friends mm -hmm. who who listen to what we're saying and who see the scary parts. They're afraid of the UN now. They're afraid of Agenda 2030, but they also do care about the environment. They also and so they kind of have like they're like I'm not sure what to believe. I see what you guys are saying. I do think this is going bad places, but they also don't want to just throw the baby out with the bathwater and just say, hey, let's just pollute the environment and destroy it. And I don't think that's what any of us are saying. But mm -hmm. the problem is, and this is I touch on some of this towards the end of the article, but this is what's important to understand the the roots of the modern environmental movement and the climate change narrative, the World Economic Forum, the United Nations, and their connection to groups like the Bilderberg Group and the Club of Rome, going back to the 50s, the 60s, and even earlier, Klaus Schwab and his connection to Henry Kissinger, Henry Kissinger and his connection to the Bilderberg Group and to all these folks. We're dealing with the same agenda. And it was the Club of Rome 
who, by the way, were some of the first people back in 2019 to start saying it's time to declare a planetary emergency. It was the Club of Rome and their paper, Limits to Growth, that came out in the early 70s, which was presented at the third annual World Economic Forum meeting, where they specifically said, we've come to the conclusion that humanity is the enemy, that we have to convince people that it is humanity that is the driving force behind all these ills and all these negative things. That was in the 1970s. So here we are 50 years later, and they've They've made some pretty good progress by pushing this narrative, and they've gotten us to the point where even trying to have a conversation with somebody about anything skeptical of the climate change narrative will immediately get you dismissed, shut down, anti-science, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, in some ways, they've kind of won that battle. Like, I think Mm -hmm. that as far as the mainstream narrative, maybe not everybody fully buys into the extreme version of Greta, like we're going to be underwater in five years or whatever. But generally speaking, if we were to go around and, you know, kind of do a public poll and ask people, do you believe in climate change? I would think most people unquestionably would say yes, even if they don't really know what that quite means. And they've never looked at the science and this and that, you know, how it is with a lot of things. So in some ways, the World Economic Forum, the Club of Rome, this whole cabal of people have been very successful in advancing their their narrative. Well, let me ask you this is interesting is what I keep seeing is is you know, in any agenda we're discussing where these these entities, these elitists will use the idea it's sort of like the point they make all the time where they're not just murderers, they're murderers who act like they're saving the lives of the people that they're killing, right? It's like this almost like second, exactly. I don't even know how you describe that. And so in this case, it's like, I, I think what what is happening is almost the, what their actions are in fact literally creating the environmental damage that they point at to justify the actions they're taking, which in fact exactly. don't solve the problem. So it's like this, you know, and so it ends up being this, it's not, it's not as if we're not hurting the planet. Like, so their agenda is achieving two different things. In one sense, it's creating a mindset of people that think they have to like, like, like within 30 seconds, save the planet or we're all going to die. But then the actions they're convincing them to take are in fact making it worse. You see what I'm saying? And so people, people then ignore this as if, well, we don't like, how do I describe this the best? It's that we're like, okay, climate change is like to your point, climate changes. So it's the illusion of what they claim that means in regard to carbon and how we have to remove the carbon, but we are destroying the planet as a human species, but their solution is not the solution. Their solution is adding to the problem, but what it effectively exactly. creates is a world where people like in the right wing of the conversation, I would argue, address this as if there is nothing to be solved. Exactly. You see what I'm going with this? I mean, yeah. what are your thoughts on it? How in the hell do you get past that? That's the I mean, illusion right we, there. We are in a, a weird feedback loop. And the and it, this is really some brilliance. And the way you mentioned there, too, it's like not only are these people, uh, you know, pretending to save the world, but they're actually people who are screwing up the world. It's some real psychopathy. You know, it's like mm-hmm. some real narcissistic thinking of not only like promoting themselves as the heroes, kind of give us all this praise. Look at us like we're the important people. And meanwhile, they're supporting narratives and actions that are are destructive to the environment to you know speak of war and to speak of other real actual environmental degradation i mean that's kind of the thing too we might get into this in this show but one of the articles i wrote previously was about pesticides just as an example Mm -hmm. well guess what the biden administration expanded the rules which are allowing more pesticides into the food supply and and affecting male sperm count but also the trump administration did it right so Mm -hmm. that's an example of a real environmental problem that, hey, there's poison in the environment and it's causing men to have lower sperm count. And that was helped by both administrations, left, right, Republican, Democrat, right? That to me is like, if we could get people fighting over the free, stop them fighting over the the kind of surface level stuff or arguing over just climate change is, is not true the way they're telling me. So I don't care about the environment at all. 
screw them. I'm going to eat what I want. I'm going to pollute like I want. I'm going to do whatever. Because there are definitely like some people who take that that path, you know, and we got to yeah. get past that and be able to say, hey, they are lying. And there are still things we can do to help the planet and to maybe leave the next generations with a, a livable planet that don't have to involve giving up your, your liberty and your privacy. Yeah. And, and, and th in my opinion, think of that as if they're doing that in order to get you not to take action, right? Like if they, exactly. they're, this is the, this is the real 40 chess, like this yeah, is the real exactly. 40 chess here. This is the point we we're making in the beginning is it's like they, 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 they understand that people in the two party paradigm have this binary thinking that if it's the reverse of what they're doing, you know, and this is exactly the game that's played where, you know, that all of a sudden the word sustainability is bad. And so you need to fight what they're doing and in inadvertently are doing exactly what they want you to do. You know, it's, it's, it's infuriating because it's, I quite frankly think a lot of people play into that game because it's profitable because it gets them attention. They don't really care, but there's a lot, I think the majority who fall prey to those people, the Tuckers and the Elons of the world, or, you know, examples on all sides. I just think the right's playing a prominent role right now in the conversation, but yeah, it's 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 it is unnerving. Do you want to get into the pesticide article now, or do you have any more points to go over on the the COP twenty eight? Since you brought let that me up? just hit a couple more on the COP twenty eight, and then yeah. let's get into that because I do think it's worth mentioning. Um, I just want to, uh, for one, of course, always as always, read the article, please yourself. I put a lot of time. It's about two thousand words. It won't take you more than half an hour. But the reason I'm like emphasizing that at more than maybe some of my other articles is because for whatever good it can do for you who are hearing this and listening to this to be a little bit more aware than the average person, you might as well have that awareness, right? I don't know what, I mean, I don't know what to say. Like, let's go protest the summit of the future. Let's protest the WEF. Like I, we can't all just fly all around the planet and keep chasing these people around. And I don't really think that's the answer, but I would hope that if you, whoever are hearing this, if you keep it in the back of your mind, okay, there's some globalist meetings happening this year. There's going to be some important things. And use that knowledge to the best of your ability, however you 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 think is appropriate. I would say maybe start thinking more about, you know, what were you doing during COVID where you felt insecure and you thought, you know what, I wish I would have been better prepared and had some food in my house, or I wish I wouldn't have been dependent on the grocery stores, whatever the case may be, because we will see climate lockdowns. We will see lockdowns again, whether it's in because of some new mysterious illness, white lung, blah, blah, whatever they come up with, or the climate crisis, or it, let's imagine the Ukraine conflict continues to expand. Israel is obviously big. We're waking up this morning and CNN's telling me that North Korea just tested some missile that could reach the US. Like there's a lot of stuff out there, whether any of it's real or propaganda mm -hmm. or going to be used for real consequences, you know, add on top of that cyber attacks and all this stuff. My point is they, and as I talked about in the article, let's start with the World Economic Forum meeting. The last two years, they've been talking about the poly crisis. We're moving into the poly crisis, combination mm -hmm. of environmental degradation, war, COVID-19, et cetera. Well, in, this, in their 2024 meeting, which is happening in January, it's all about rebuilding trust. Of course, they're still focused on trust. They recognize that the people do not trust them. And one of the questions they asked, they said, will this be the year where we solve the poly crisis or is this going to be the era of perma crisis so this is like their new terminology they're using now so now we're going to be in just this permanent state of war and the environment's fine like i think that they have to ramp up the, the conflict the the fear porn in order to go back to the un thing to get people to accept these really extreme painful measures that they are promising we're going to have to do to save the planet like we're going to get to a time where push comes to shove and they actually governments start in you know in uh implementing some some radical changes to meet these paris agreements agenda 2030 so the world economic forum is a big part of that they're focused on rebuilding trust they're talking about perma crisis we don't know who's coming yet or any of that stuff i'm sure we will i'm sure i'll write an article about it next month but 
I'm also focused, I'll just throw a shout out. I'm also focused on the greater reset, the greater reset.org. We're still focused on trying to, we're, we're going to be meeting again for the fifth year in Mexico at the same time as they're meeting in Davos, Switzerland. But I encourage anybody, you know, I'll write an article. I'll catch you up on what they talk about, but instead of obsessing over them for five days, tune into the greater reset. You can actually hear some solutions and right. that might be more valuable than just sitting around and us obsessing over what they're doing. You know, I write these articles because I want you the public to be aware of what's coming up and what's going on. But I also would hate for you to just be living in fear. Like, Oh no, Klaus is meeting today. You know, we're, we're screwed or whatever. We're not screwed. There's so much potential. There's so much opportunity. So check out the greater reset. Right. That's in January. Um, I don't have a lot of details about the IMF world bank meeting, but I'm sure I will as we get closer. The only thing I will say about that is the uh, uh, Antonio Guterres, who's secretary general of the UN, as well as uh What's her name? Kristalina Georgieva, the woman of the IMF. I can't remember her, her full name, but they have been saying that it's time for a new Bretton Woods movement. It's time mm. for a new financial uh, moment. You know, And for those who know, the Bretton Woods meeting took place, I think it was 1944. It established the IMF. It established the World Bank. And it basically established the modern financial system as we know it. Well, I also reported last year that in France, none of the American media reported on this, but uh, Macron gathered 50 different heads of state for what they called the summit for the financing pact of the future. Again, they are putting all the pieces in place to establish a new financial system, which will be right. a quote unquote nature-based economy, uh, which is basically just going to be them monetizing and you know further raping natural resources, as far as I'm concerned. So I expect that there will be big news at that IMF uh, World Bank meeting happening in April. And then, of course, most people are familiar with the World Health Organization the last couple of years, this pandemic treaty. And as mm -hmm. Corbett reported uh, recently, it's now been officially renamed the Pandemic Agreement for whatever that matters. But so the Pandemic Agreement, will, they will be meeting in May. And this is going to be when they actually approve it. You know, all the meetings that you've been hearing about in the last year have just been kind of procedural meetings, draft mm -hmm. agreements, et cetera. But May, May 2024 is when they are set to either, you know, block it or to actually approve it and make whatever changes, you know, it, so we should be paying attention to that because again, that is dealing with the biomedical state. This is going to be the World Health Organization, which we just saw played a major role during COVID-1984, essentially putting all their ducks in a row to say, hey, if there's ever a new pandemic or a claimed pandemic, these are the steps that all of the signatories of this agreement will be required to do if uh -huh. the World Health Organization declares a pandemic. So that really is a, a big step towards eroding national sovereignty. I mean, we could end up in a 2025, 2026, whatever situation, and they tell us there's a new pandemic, and all of the people, all the nations, the parties who've signed on to these agreements would then be you know, bound, legally required, even though they never were voted on, even though we never mm -hmm. voted on them, to take whatever steps the World Health Organization says is necessary. And we know the World Health Organization very much liked China's approach of lockdowns, you know, zero COVID policy. So it's, it, we can see that there's some dangerous implications from that. And then after the summer in September of 2024, that is when I believe it's taking place in New York, they're going to have this summit for the future. And again, the summit of the future is building on the SDG summit this year. It's building on COP28. But the big thing is they're saying at that agreement, all the world leaders are going to sign what they're calling the pact of the future. And the pact of the future is as it sounds, it's going to be like a global, I think it, this is going to be one of the one of the biggest public steps towards global government, if not like the final the, step. I mean, I yeah. mean, the step like where they literally say we are now united in this new pact. 
And then again, we're bound by all these different agreements. And so you and, got this, the financing pact of the future, the pact of the future, the summit of the future, the World Health Organization, all of that happening in 2024, not even to mention the U.S. election in 20, November 2024. You see, and to me... All this, I mean, these are obviously, I, I definitely feel the same sense there that this is going to be the culminating moment of the initiation of how all of these things converge to make a kind of ubiquitous control structure in every possible way. And of course, you're going to have all the lackeys like usual going, this is no different than any other international agreement in the past and NATO and this and that and, you know, whatever else, you know, even though we had every reason to be just as concerned about those at that time too. It's just, I, I already hear it happening. You know, all the ones shouting you down for not understanding what, you know, the, the, the reality here is that this is a power grab. Even if you think this is in the best interest of society or humanity, it's still a centralization of control to a degree we've never seen in human history. That's what this is. And that's terrifying to me. And I think that the, the like you're describing, the financial egg, you've got the, the health side of it. You've got all these different angles that once they converge will, I mean, how do you come back from that? Like take a st- take a second if you're listening to this and think about that. Let's just say you agree with that. Let's say you take all these steps, you sign this over, whether it's a health thing only or an all-encompassing sovereignty kind of, you know, circumventing sovereignty concept. How do you then, let's say you wake up a year from now and go, never mind, I think this is wrong. What do you do? Who do you call on? Who do you vote with? Like, do you really believe they're just going to, so world centralized power is going to be like, oh, you voted your way out of it again. That doesn't happen. Maybe in the past of like, the time Matt Errett writes about where people like what the point of it, there was a time when we were living under such kinds of control, but it wasn't worldwide control, but they were Kings, sure. things like that. The point was there was a reason for whatever that I think we were allowed to think that we were in a different control structure. We've always been in the same thing. I think this is the time when they're going to seize that control again, as Matt kind of writes, but yeah, that's a terrifying thing to me. I, I'd like to ask you a question really quickly on your thoughts around the perma crisis, poly crisis. I mean, the, just the idea that you're even floating something of a, a, a permanent crisis. Like, like it just, what an interesting, like they really are planting the idea very clumsily. I would argue that this is just the forever crisis. So we're always at crisis for, we always need emergency. That's exactly what's already happening. So what, what do you think about that? Or explain for me, the poly crisis would mean what, like multiple crisis at the same time. Is sure. that what that ultimately means? Yeah. So when they started floating this idea of the poly crisis, I think it was during the middle of COVID. It was probably after the first year after they announced the Great Reset. And that's when I started to see articles and Klaus Schwab mentioning it. And I think it was even the theme for one of their years. And that was just, as I mentioned earlier, like we're facing climate crisis, we're facing Mm -hmm. um, wars because they're talking about Ukraine and then economic downturns and then, you know, new pandemics. And obviously we know each of those different situations, we're not being given the full truth, right? But if you're just some you know, NPC, normie, Joe, whatever, normal person out there, all you're hearing on the media is, oh my God, Ukraine conflict and a new COVID variant and the environment's, the forest is on fire and Hawaii's burning, you know, all these things. It's definitely going to create that illusion or at least that perception in your mind of like, oh my God, we really are in a state of multiple crises Mm -hmm. going on. So that's what they mean with the poly crisis. And this, this is the first time I'm hearing them float this idea of a perma crisis. So it'll be interesting to hear what that looks like in January when we get to it. But mm-hmm. I do think that this is, like you said, we've already kind of seen this, but on the national level. So for example, look at the post 9-11 world, right? Once 9-11 happened, the U.S. government declared a state of emergency. They essentially suspended the constitution and every single U.S. president, both parties for the last 20 plus years 
has reinstated that uh, yep. state of emergency every single year. Without a doubt, it's like an unquestioned thing. Nope, we're still in a state of emergency, still in a state of emergency. And that gives the government powers that they didn't have before 9-11. Now, of right. course, for everybody growing up after 9-11, they never knew anything different. So it's normal that the TSA makes you take off your shoes at the airport. It's normal that they can spy on all your stuff because they gave themselves the powers before you were even born. Right. So I kind of imagine a situation like that, but on an international worldwide scale where we are in a quote unquote permanent crisis. And then, as I mentioned earlier, the Club of Rome and the United Nations are more and more, I encourage everybody just, and I'll be writing about this soon, look up planetary emergency, UN planetary emergency. I believe whether they declare the planetary emergency when they sign the pact of the future, that's where this is all going. Maybe they won't declare it till, you know, 2025 or something, but they, the, the Club of Rome, who again are the people who first started saying this, we need to make humanity be the enemy and convince people that they're the problem. They're saying they're calling on the United Nations and the world governments to declare a planetary emergency. And this planetary emergency would, like a sort of post 9-11 state of emergency, give all the global governments, the UN, the World Health Organization, even more powers, like where they mm. could, I don't know what they'll do with it exactly, but we can imagine some of the worst things. And so I think that that's what all this stuff is about. Like, hey, we're falling behind on the agreements. We're not going to reach the SDGs. So we got to push even faster. We got to invest more money. We got to do more extreme things. And then, you know, the COP28, like they said, this is the beginning of the end of the fossil fuel era. And even the, the, uh, the, like, what do they call him? His Highness or whatever, the, the guy at the Sultan who got a lot of crap from people because the first couple days of COP, he said, there's no science behind climate change. Like, right. he got, you know, but then by the end of the, the, the two week meeting, He's saying this is the beginning of the end of the fossil fuel era and we need to make sure countries are ready to make changes and not just talk about it. So I think they're at the point where they're ready to push for action. Like they've been talking for 50 years and they've convinced themselves in the world that this is what's next. So they might not declare a planetary emergency at, in 2024 when they sign the pact for the future. But by that point, they'll have a pact to the future, a financing pact to the future, a World mm -hmm. Health Organization treaty. And then if they were to declare a planetary emergency, those agreements will tell them what rights they believe they have and what actions they can take. And yeah, yeah. I mean, it's going to be a lot harder to kind of fight the power if it's not your council member down the street or your state representative. We already know we really don't get any response from a president. There's no really a real kind of accountability there, much less if this is some international diplomat unelected that's going to the United Nations, quote unquote, on our behalf. How do you even try to find a remedy for that? Right. Yeah. It's like the it's like the EU over the European nations kind of a thing. It's not you're not really exactly. in control. Well, you know, what's, what I think is interesting is that what it appears to me is that the health side of this, the COVID-19 illusion was an attempt at that control from one angle. Right. You talked about parasite stress theory. They've done their research on this. Right. They very clearly realized that it's one of the easiest ways to drive people to accept the, clearly the kind of authoritarian one world government they're trying and have been trying to achieve is through the threat of a pathogen. Right. You covered this well. And obviously it does have a very strong effect. I think they realized through that agenda that we weren't all going to let that happen. And it didn't work. People like us pushed back. It clearly fell apart. This feels like an attempt to go from every possible angle. Right. I mean, I think it's obvious in any dystopian conversation throughout history or any movies or literature that the idea is that in a situation where everybody's at threat. Well, government becomes authoritarian. It's almost been drilled into our minds that that's what you have to do. Well, we need to lock down. We need to have military. We need to make sure that you're protected in your homes. It's like, so they go, well, let's create the multi-pointed poly problem. And then, you know, perma situation forever. Then we have complete control. I mean, this, of course, sounds conspiratorial to people, but 
It's exactly what these governments have been outlining in their plans, their discussions. And I think, and I'll, I'll use this moment again to point out, and then we'll jump to the next conversation about what I think this embodies. And I think what's obvious, almost now even their actions in the, the, the world government stage seem to align with what I keep thinking makes the most sense, is the combination of all of these things and then an event that pulls them all together, right? So right now we're at the poly yeah. crisis. Well, what event will bring you into the perma crisis, right? The, for the constant forever. And my thought is always, I'm sure you've heard me say before, is the idea that right now we've got all these multifaceted overlapping agendas, you know, the war front, the kinetic wars, you've got the biological pathogen issue, you've got the cyber attacks and the technology. Well, obviously I think it makes sense that we're going to see these converge where it would be a, you know, Republican white vanilla ISIS kind of overlap with a foreign entity that carries out a cyber type attack in some kind of violent way, like a violent action so coupled with a cyber attack that releases some kind of biological agent. Now it just, I've said this many times, you know what I mean? But I feel like that just is too off. Like lately we keep seeing them do the things that's like, well, that's exactly on the nose. Like exactly like the one perfectly thing, a little too obvious, but exactly. So I have any thoughts on that being like the, a lot, you think it's too much on the nose or how do you see that playing out? I do think you're correct that, I mean, this is the purpose that the false flag tool has played in the, mm -hmm. the, the predator class, you know, toolbox for decades now, if, if not longer than that, we know that this is how they use fear to get the population to submit to or to just cower in fear and let them do whatever they want like let help me feel safe again whatever i don't care go after the bad guys fix the thing you know lock me in my homes as long as you know everybody's safe hmm. i absolutely think we are going to be um you know i don't like to make predictions of any kind but i mean we we i think we called it to some degree when it came to 2020 i wrote articles warning people not to fall for the trap of what was coming in election 20 after the election 2024 that they were going to use the sort of division between Trump and Biden and the fact that Trump's people have been convinced that, you know, he's going to be screwed one way or the other. And the other side has been convinced that Trump's literally Hitler. And I do think he's a dangerous person personally, I want to say, but yeah. I think he's more dangerous than Biden. Uh, Biden's just a puppet, but I mean, they're I both ultimately puppets, but nonetheless, like I expect something like we have not seen before in terms of division. I think we're going to see fighting in the streets again, the closer we get to 2024 election, like we saw back, you know, a few years ago, it's kind of cooled down or calmed down, but Trump is going to increase his rhetoric. So that's just on the election side, not to mention mm -hmm. all these other meetings and things going on and in talk of new variants or this or that or whatever. I absolutely believe we are going to see another false flag type of event. I don't want to speculate what we've been hearing about cyber attacks for years now, cyber polygon. And, you know, of mm -hmm. course I mentioned, just this morning, they're talking about, oh, North Korea can hit the U.S. Right. with a missile. So there's there's a number of different Yemen. false flag ways. Yeah. They, yeah, there's there's so many different things that they're kind of amping up and talking about again. I don't know what is going to be the quote unquote one crisis. And I think maybe it won't be anything, right? That's the whole point of the poly crisis. Mm -hmm. it's, it's too many things going on. And then I did want to say what you reminded me or would make, make me think of like when we're talking about permanent crisis and just keeping people in that. It honestly brings up kind of thoughts of 1984. And, you know, the the role of Winston, the main character in 1984, was to, like, change the newspapers or whatever to make it like we're always at war with East Asia. No, we've always been at war with West Asia, whatever. But what you kind of gather from just the bits and pieces that we we learn about the bigger world is that there is permanent crisis going on. We're always at war. There's always like, you know, we got to make sure all the workers are outputting more or whatever to make sure we meet the quota. Like, they, it, it's kind of. The story is being told from a place, maybe our potential future, where the masses already believe we're always at war. You know, we're always in some economic shortage. You got to keep working. You got to, and, and so you just keep people in that rat race and sort of 
it, believing in whatever crises you tell them are going on and you tell them, hey, the good guys are out there fixing it. Just let us keep taxing you and just shut up and follow the rules. Exactly. Like, Isn't uh, so, that already what's happening? Yeah. Like, I couldn't think you literally there. argue I mean, that's what we're literally living through right now? I think so. I think we're definitely – and all of this stuff that we're describing here with what's coming in 2024 – I think we'll just further solidify that. And and in some ways, it'll probably be good because those of us who can see through it, hopefully it'll be even more obvious. But mm-hmm. those who are indoctrinated, I think, are going to be even further pulled in or those who are just living in the fear mindset, like we saw with COVID. There was some people that no matter what you said to them, no matter how much documentation, science, et cetera, like they had already been traumatized to the point where they couldn't even hear you. And what happens if you traumatize the heck out of people about war, about the climate, the planet's about to end? And you know, the money is running out, you know, and, and of course, when people really feel that they, you know, they can ignore like, oh, whatever, climate change, war in Israel, it doesn't affect me. But when it's their dollars and their money in their pocket, that's when things really get spicy because people feel that more than anything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's literally happening right now in every possible angle. You know, they're, they're, they're desensitizing, dehumanizing in, in a very disjointed, jarring, shuffled way where it shifts this one, then that one, then Russia, then, you know, and, and you know, it's happening in an expedited fashion. You know, as much as it's not day to day, it never used to be like this month here, that month there. Like it's really even even the COVID-19 conversation. It's just really aggressive and rapid, you know, and, and to be clear. I, and as you made clear in your follow up statements, what I was saying was not that there would be a right wing person that would care. It would, be, it would be a false flag. I thought that was just to make clear. I didn't think I said that. And that that would be my opinion is how that obvious thing plays out. But, you know, who knows? Dick, multiple agendas. And again, I don't want it to seem like I'm predicting that as much as that's essentially what it is. It's just a hypothesis. And I could give you 14 different hypotheses that would line up in the same way. That's just the one that seems to make the most the easiest execution to kind of achieve all these different ends. I certainly hope it doesn't happen, but we could go into so many different angles on this. I'm going to be talking. I think I'm going to look more into that general overlap discussion, but one of the angles that I think is very obvious that very clearly drives us in this direction. Since you mentioned it, let's fit. We can finish with the fluoride point is this conversation about the, the pesticides and the different ways that our health is, I mean, I don't even know if there's a pro- bombarded is not good enough. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's like, I think the term you used before is that we're drenched, right? That we have just been drip dipped in some like chemical bath that is just never, it's just amazing to me how many provable ways you can show that what they're using is not just dangerous, but that they know it's dangerous and that they've known it's dangerous for a long time. And you'll find it in your children's fucking toys right now. You know, like it's just crazy to me. So so how do you see the pesticide part of this playing in larger than just, you know, the fact that it's dangerous for you? So, I mean, I do think that just we're talking polycrisis, right? We don't even have to talk mm-hmm. as big as as war and uh, the climate crisis and all that. But, you know, we were saying this before we started recording, Ryan, that I've I've just been really reflecting on how, like, you know, as if any of the parents out there, anybody who's got young kids, like you're bringing the children into a world where there is probably no way to 100% guarantee they won't be exposed to toxic chemicals. Like just right. because of the state of the world, literally when you bring a child and or just as a human being, when you walk outside, there is no way to guarantee you won't be exposed to carcinogenic pesticides of a variety of kinds. Um, it's not just one single pesticide. It's like Monsanto, you know, Roundup. It's the organophosphates. It's the uh, uh, the nicotine-based ones. There's so many out there that you're being exposed to, and that's just things that people are spraying to, allegedly to to help you know help their grass out or whatever. That's not mentioning 
if you live near a chemical plant or a concrete plant, you know, the additional toxins and things that might be in, uh, in the air you breathe and stuff like that, especially for people in industrial areas. Um, and then on top of that, whatever the heck they're spraying above in the skies, like, you know, we, we should have mentioned that earlier, like any conversation about climate change that doesn't mention geoengineering is completely insufficient right. or irrelevant. Like if you don't bring that into the conversation and then of course, we're going to end with fluoride. So just if we focused on just those four things, the spraying in the sky, the pesticides, sort of um, pollution, you know, broader toxins in the air and fluoride in the water, which obviously not everybody in the world is exposed to fluoride in the water, but the U.S. Western world definitely is. Just those things alone, not adding, you know, even your diet to the equation and what mm -hmm. you might be consuming there. That alone is causing, you know, everything from hyperthyroidism to hypothyroidism to knee problems, kidney and liver issues, IQ problems. I mean, it's just such a, a, a mountain of things. And this article is just focused on how we now have more evidence. And of course, I've written quite a few articles over the years. So this is just the, that's why I titled it yet another study, because it's like, hey, we, we got mountains of evidence. What is it going to take for somebody to do something about this? You would assume something would be done. Mm -hmm. But just more evidence that pesticides that are widely used and in this case they're organophosphates um, the ones we're focused on here and also known as nmc insecticides that these are widely used and they're showing adult populations male populations have lower sperm concentrations and not only just kind of like hey there's a lower sperm concentration but the the researchers themselves were kind of almost unusually um like pointed and their warnings, you know, because sometimes scientists tend to be more conservative. They don't want to come mm -hmm. out and like make a big broad statement. These scientists were very clear, like, hey, we have overwhelming evidence. There's clear, like they said, reproductive toxicants in the environment. They also mentioned endocrine disrupting chemicals, you know, and this can, as I mentioned, it can affect your age, your nutrition, your lifestyle. There's so many different things here. And the big point, I guess I want to really just kind of make sure everybody goes home with the second half of the article I just titled Trump and Biden exacerbated this problem. And this is an important point for anybody who's still stuck in the left, right paradigm, or maybe the last few years because of the Trump deception have been pulled back into the left, right paradigm. And you think it's only the leftists, only the Democrats who are right. the bad guys and, you know, Trump and the, the Republicans can do no wrong. But in fact, guys, when you look at this back in Trump, during Trump's administration, uh, during the 2017s, you had the EPA, talking about these same pesticides, particularly one known as malathion. And malathion has basically harmed over 1,800 animals and plants, which are supposed to be protected by the Endangered Species Act. And this was in part done through the Trump administration. When Trump was uh, president, he was getting sued for this, for changing the rules, allowing the EPA to increase the amount of uh, this particular pesticide that was being used. Uh, he's still being... Well, the U.S. government's now being sued. Obviously, Trump's gone now. But the point is, Trump implemented policies that directly empowered the pesticide industry. So right. that's not that's not freedom. That's not liberty. That's corporatism. That's you know statism. That's I, I don't think that's anything to be proud of. And so he's getting sued for it. And at the time, we had I'll just quote this one: You had the director of Californians for Pesticide Reform say, "Quote: It is unacceptable to ignore the range of well-documented dangers." With this outdated class of organophosphate pesticides, malathion is one of the most dangerous pesticides still available on the market. But it continues. You know, we go further into 2021. Biden's president now, right? Maybe Biden, right. he cares about the environment. He's going to fix it, right? He's going to reverse it. No, in fact, like the Biden administration, under the Biden administration, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service basically squashed even the little bit 
of things that Trump had done. Trump had taken some very dangerous steps, but there was still some level of like protections in these areas. Trump, uh, the Biden administration came in and basically got rid of all that previous analysis and said, no, there's no evidence that this is causing any harm at all. So they're like not even willing to acknowledge that there is any um, anything going on. And so you got this quote from the environmental health director at the Center for Biological Diversity. Quote, we need to impose common sense restrictions on pesticide use if we want to dodge mass extinctions in this country. And this is our moment to do that for a malathion. But that won't happen unless the Biden administration grows a spine and stands up to the powerful pesticide industry. And this analysis suggests that they would rather not do that. And then, as I mentioned, by 2022, they totally reversed it and said that, nope, malathion doesn't pose a risk to any any protected animal or plant. Whereas at least during the Trump administration, they acknowledged that there was some danger. They didn't do anything about it. But the Biden administration comes in and just totally reverses that and says, no, there's no evidence that this thing is harming anything, any protected animal, wildlife. So, I mean, it's just like this is on top of all the bigger things, Israel, everything else. But these are all happening in the background. These are things that we're probably being exposed to one degree or another on a daily basis because they're that widely used. Well, this is what I mean. God, it's just this topic for me really brings out the most egregiously obvious example that they don't not that they don't care about you almost to the sense where we this is the these are the conversations that start making me genuinely go okay do are they really just trying to kill everybody like you know at that point at the very least malfeasance like just for those that are uh, watching i mean i just pulled up the quick msds sheet right material safety data sheet May cause cancer, very toxic to aquatic aquatic life, very toxic to aquatic life with long lasting effects. They're spraying this in the environment. Like, I just think that's, it's mind blowing. That's just the first couple of examples. I'm sure we can go through this in depth and find all sorts of allergic reactions may cause cancer, you know, like just horrifying. It's crazy. It's crazy. I, I could take more time on it. But my point is that, you know, these, this is one example and it's not only in the, so what we were going to discuss as well is, you know, we've talked about, oh, this was one I covered the, where they were spraying the New York pesticides down the streets. Remember that recently happened. It's an, it's a common thing, but then I go in to find out the ones they're spraying are provably dangerous to children, to animals, to all sorts of stuff, or there's the general discussion of endocrine disrupting chemicals. I simply asked the question during the trans conversation. Are these causing gender dysphoria? And you'd be shocked probably to find out that there's like 15 different studies that find 100% they can. Not that they always will, but yes, they absolutely can create the very thing that they're now pointing at in our society. Or or, uh, Dr. Peter McCullough discusses how their injections they're using are endocrine disrupting chemicals or glyphosate or any number of things. It's just so unnerving to think about the fact that this is ubiquitous. Glyphosate was something that I've been screaming about for a decade, and it that's we've lost that battle. I mean, that, that I make this point every time. It's in the air you're breathing right now. It's in the clothes you're wearing. It is in the water you're drinking. That's not hyperbole. It is everywhere. I make the point about the U, uh, in the UK. They did a, a test where they basically the parliament was like, I think it was about trying to challenge that it wasn't that bad. And they took a urine test, and every single one of the members of parliament had glyphosate in their urine. Like, try and disprove it. Every organic wine. I mean, I've gone over this so many times. These things are deadly dangerous. They're causing all sorts of many different problems, and that's just yeah. one of them. We, with with okay. East Palestine, we talked about dioxins or PFAS or benzene, and all of a sudden, we're like, wow, benzene's super dangerous. We can prove it. Turns out it's in your children's toys and sunscreen. <laughs> Oops. You know what I mean? Like, it how really, do we not recognize? Go ahead. I'm just It really forever. is a, a 
No, I mean, I, I, I think that the outrage is, is well placed here. And in fact, I wish we had more people who are outraged and not casually going about their lives. Like, I yeah. mean, I hope that people with that outrage, we, we got to find ways to to push back. And look, I'm not a, a government guy, per se, here in terms of thinking government's the answer. But I do think that there are certain situations like this that it's like these things should just be outright banned. Like, right. I mean, I, I hate to even say, like, let's give the government power to ban anything. But when we have the evidence, like even just the simple things we went over here, you know, we could go, we could do a whole show just going into malathion or just organophosphates right. or neonicotinoids, all glyphosate, etc. We have lost that battle. I mean, when you recognize how pervasive these various chemicals are, we're just talking about pesticides right now. We're not even getting right. any other classes of, of chemicals. And all, you know, it's, 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 it really is, it makes me sad. It blows my mind that, you know, you mentioned the forever chemicals. Another thing I've been getting into recently, it's trying to understand is like the lead in the water, realizing yeah. that most major cities in the U.S. still have lead pipes that are hundreds of years old that are actively leaching lead into the water. And that's something that in the mainstream, they'll admit lead lowers your IQ. So let's say you got lead pipes bringing water to your house that you're showering with, you're cleaning, you're eating with, and you got fluoride in the water and you got pesticides being sprayed around. The kids are going to school. You know, the guy who won the billion dollar lawsuit against Monsanto was a school groundskeeper who'd been spraying right. glyphosate his whole life and he got cancer. But it, I'm sure those kids got exposed to that same glyphosate as well. So it really is just, I don't know, it, it's a, it's an overwhelming topic that that's why I wrote about it. Because when I see those things, I'm just like, why is this not front page? Why are we not like, why is there not just like an alert goes out to all the schools? Hey, parents, new study comes out. We want to do everything we can to make sure your kids are not being exposed to this because we've got hard evidence showing that it's going to lower your children's sperm count or lower, you know, IQ or whatever the case. Like if people care so much about the kids as they like to claim, why is there not more effort to protect them and, and just everybody, but especially the kids, because we know that they're growing up being um, exposed to this toxic soup. It's right. um, it's really it is mind boggling. It's frustrating. And I hope people will at least share the information out so that more people can try to be adequately prepared however they can. Yeah, I agree, man. You know, I, th I think the problem is that so many people like the average person wants to believe that if it's not being discussed and I hope to God and I really do believe that that's a dwindling number, quite frankly, not the majority anymore, but that, that thinks that if they're not talking about it, if it's not on CNN or Fox News, then there must not be a problem because they wouldn't just not talk about it. Like that's a, a problem that people think like that. But the idea being that it's it's so obvious that so you have these things that are dangerous, that we can prove are dangerous. And it's not just some like lack of understanding, like it's a conscious choice because of corporate interest, because of lobbying, like it's. It, it, and this is not even getting into like the real conspiratorial aspects, just simple money playing a role in the minds of these people that are acting like they fight for you who end up leaning in the direction of the corporate interest because they end up on the boards of these companies. And like, that's just the basic broken, corrupt, decrepit reality of our system. Then you add on the darker and out, you know, aspects of this and what that means, but you don't even need those to prove the average person that they don't, they don't care about your safety. It really does make me mad. You know, I was, I was trying to find your, um, you wrote an article in the past. I'll, I'll try to find it, include it about that exact point that I think most states in this country are, you know, not just Flint, I think, or something like that. You titled it, but it's a, it's, it's so, it's, it's an older article, right? It's a couple of years old. It's, oh, it's yeah. There's old. definitely, I mean, we've, been, I've been trying to raise awareness about the water crisis for, for some time here. And, and I, I kind of, like I mentioned, I've been doing some, some uh, research on it here in Houston because of the fluoride situation, but also just recognizing, wow, like, I mean, I want to get rid of fluoride, of course, because it's being, people are being, are paying their money, their tax dollars to add it to the water. 
But then that's just the start. You got lead pipes with lead in the water. You got chlorine and chloramine. I mean, it, it's yep. just, I don't and know again, how, I, I don't know how like this is like, I guess what I'll say is I don't know how the city of Houston is continuing to operate the city of Flint, the city of New York. Cause it's right. every major city that has these aging infrastructure, aging pipes that are leaching. Like, why is it, why is this not the crisis that we're all hearing about? You know what I mean? Yeah, like if we're going to talk exactly. about climate crisis, environmental crisis, like we should be like, there should not be a day that passes in my mind where the media and the government is, is saying, Hey, we're working on getting the pipes. We're putting, we're getting these pipes because that we're literally using an infrastructure that we know is putting chemicals into the bodies and the minds of everyone but young kids especially that we know leads to lower iq and that's you know before you even get into fluoride so it's just right. it's, it's frustrating but nevertheless this is where we're at and this is why we do this work yeah yeah exactly and i was just going to grab an article about the piping side of it too and i all these different things you forget about but i covered that recently where they're they're one of their solutions to this very thing so this is the way this works is they have the piping that they've known has been a problem forever and whether it's that they just don't care enough that they're worried about their wars more so than infrastructure that or or that they just can't feasibly do you know who knows what the reality is but they know it's dangerous but they just let it go now at the point where they're finally seeing a way that they can use that problem to get to gain something so they go oh okay well now we care about the lead problem let's start dealing with it but instead of actually just fixing the problem they that one of the things they're doing is this this uh what is it called they where they basically insert this pliable piping that they then heat and heat it's a ceramic thing they heat after it gets inserted through the piping right it's wildly toxic their argument is that they once they heat it that's when all the bad stuff happens but my i proved in my coverage of this that once it's even it's heated and set it still has all sorts of chemical bleeding but the craziest part sure. was this is where i caught wind of the story they pump this stuff in and there was a school, uh, you know, 200 yards away from where they were doing this. They literally had to evacuate the school because kids across the school started vomiting violently. Do you know, you know, do you know how serious that is when something that dangerous all of a sudden start vomiting reactively? Like, that's crazy. And the point was, they, they, it turns out that's happened like three or four times. Like, think about how crazy yeah. that is, you know? I'll find that included yeah. as well. But so, they, again, no fixing it. It's because that's probably more profitable, easier, quick to do. But so let's let's finish with the discussion of fluoride because I obviously this let me is Let me add one thing to that real oh, yeah. quick. I know we're getting the fluoride, but just uh, the only thing that yeah, – this has come to my mind recently too. Like you said, like they either allowed the, the infrastructure to get so bad or they just ignored or whatever. I also have, you know, back to our conversation earlier, like does everything happen randomly? Is this benefiting them, et cetera? There's a part of my mind that is like, hmm, if you let the infrastructure get so bad mm -hmm. that it's leaking uh, lead into the water and people are being negatively impacted, of course, the people are going to want something new. And this might be the perfect time to bring in more smart city infrastructure with sensors and this and that. You know, you, right. you, we're going to fix the lead problem and bring in all the smart city tech. So I just wanted to add right. that. Right. Well, I mean, that's that manufacturing consent. I mean, that's that's a very common tactic to, you know, make. I mean, that, that's one of the things we've been talking about in the Great Reset in general. You know, you, you let it you let it get bad to the point to where it can rationalize the fact that you can't just fix it. You have to destroy it and rebuild it. And of course, well, now that we're doing it, well, let's make it the best, you know, and that's when all the overlap of the technology comes into it. But yeah, it's a it's a disconcerting reality. And, and one of the most obvious and really, really, one of the most painfully obvious parts of this, it, it, this bit, bit talked about for as long as I've ever been doing this work. And I think it's been provable that long that fluoride is, one, 
a, a dangerous byproduct that has no real benefit at all for anybody consuming it. But on top of that, that they know that, that they've been pushed. Don't be, I mean, we can get into the whys, but at the very least, because they'd otherwise have to pay to dispose of it, where now they're making you pay to put it in your water. So give us a quick background on this work, you know, why that's important. And then let's talk about sure. what you're trying to do with the, uh, the trial. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, as you said, like we've had evidence, I've, I've been researching for it since 2010. The evidence was there then. And honestly, I've learned quite a bit in my research just this year of do, doing, you know, work preparing for this trial to resume and stuff. And the fact is that there have been scientists warning about fluoride lowering IQ since at least the 1950s, pretty much right when it began. And Thankfully, we got to a point in 2016 where the Fluoride Action Network and uh, the uh, Food and Water Watch and several mothers of its plaintiffs decided to sue the EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, because the EPA denied their petition. They basically filed a petition under the Toxic Substance Control Act, which was passed in 2016, and allows citizens to go to the government and say, hey, we believe this substance is toxic. You need to regulate it or ban it. So the Fluoride Action Network filed the law, uh, a petition. The EPA denied it, ignored it. So then they filed a lawsuit. That was back in 2016. Here we are, 2023, going on 2024. And we're still not done with this trial yet. But in the summer of 2020, it actually began. And of course, everything was locked down then. So I started reporting on it for T-Lab in June. And then it wrapped up in August. And it was taking place in San Francisco, but everybody was on Zoom. And I just followed the, the you know, I've done a, quite a bit of uh, court reporting. It's kind of a different specific type of reporting because you got to be mm -hmm. just ready to like catch as many things, especially when you're not sitting there listening to Zoom where you can screen record and listen to right. later. Like if, if you're there in person, you just got to be writing as fast as you can, getting all the notes. And it, there's a lot to it, but I really, I do enjoy doing it because, and I think it's important work because whether we're talking about the fluoride trial uh, or any other trial, you're not going to get the full picture if you're not there in person or if somebody's not reporting live in person because the mainstream is just going to give you the te the top headline of the day. You know, and right. as we've seen with this fluoride lawsuit, this fluoride trial, there has been no mainstream reporting at all. The only reporting we've found from anything that could be slightly considered mainstream would be Bloomberg Law, which is not really even mainstream. It's like a division of Bloomberg that focuses on legal cases and stuff, and it's like subscription only. So it's not like being seen by that many people. There has mm -hmm. been no major reporting by any of the corporate media outlets acknowledging like, hey, the, the fact, which is like, you don't have to necessarily say fluoride is going to kill people, even though we have the evidence for the IQ harm and all that, but at least to acknowledge this is a historic trial. The thing that the CDC claims, one of the things that the CDC claims is the top uh, health achievement of the 20th century, right. along with vaccines and everything else, is now on trial. And there are Harvard scientists and you know, some of the most credentialed professionals when it comes to this science warning and, and talking about the data they found. And even just in the first, the, that first year of the trial, my reporting showed that, that we know it lowers IQ, that Harvard, Harvard scientist Philip Grandjean said that he was threatened for his conclusions about fluoride. He said that the fluoride lobby has taken over the World Health Organization. I mean, there's so many little bits and pieces of nuggets that came out because I was following this, uh, this case. And uh, essentially what happened is at the end of 2020, it got delayed. They said they wanted to wait for some more studies to come out, including that study there. They were waiting for them, the National Toxicology Program. But as we've learned since then, the National Toxicology Program, they still have not publicly officially released their report on fluoride, but we have two draft versions of it from May 2022 right. and September 2022, where these scientists at the National Toxicology Program, in their own words, say 
that the, the study was done, it was ready for public release, and their conclusions were that fluoride does cause lower IQ in children, in addition right. to many other problems. So that we have that information, the government's just refusing to make it official by releasing it. And then we also have, through emails that were released through the trial, we saw that uh, the head of the Health and, Health and Human Services, Rachel Levine, Mm-hmm. was involved as as well as some other officials was involved with blocking the release of this da- this data and this information. So, I mean we have clear examples here that this toxin that this chemical is a toxin as we've known before, but now it's in court records, now it's in federal courts. We've got federal government scientists fighting to get their their science to the people, and we've got different US government officials doing everything they can to block the release of that data. And so that's all been going on in the background, and now mm-hmm. where we're at the judge Edward Chin has, um, they're finally going to have the second phase of the trial. You know, basically that since that, that, uh, study never came out, the NTP study, we have the draft versions. The judge said, okay, we'll look at the draft version. You can bring back some witnesses. We'll look at any new studies that have been done since 2020. And it's starting again, January 30th in San Francisco. It'll now be in person and it's going to run for two weeks, January 30th to February 14th. And um, since we're going to be in person now, I, I'm, and they're not even doing Zoom anymore, so I, there's not even an option for me to do it remotely. Uh, I am going to be going in person to San Francisco. You know, it might not last the whole two weeks, but that's what the court has kind of slated for that time. So that's kind of where we're at now. And the goal with this article is just to remind everybody, like, hey, this is still going on in case you forgot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I kind of list just a little four summary points, which I just kind of covered, of some of the past reporting, because I do think there's just... I like everything we've covered here today. Like, you know, why are more people not talking about the pesticide issue? Mm-hmm. Why, why is this fluoride trial not front and center? I mean, besides us, and I got to go on the high wire with Del Big Tree, a few other outlets, there really has not been any coverage, of course, from the corporate media, as I mentioned, but even very little coverage from the, the alternative independent media when this could be, I know there's a lot going on, but this could be a victory for us. If this trial yeah. goes the way that it should, this could spell the end of water fluoridation in the United States. Now, it's very difficult to even imagine something good like that happening because there's a lot of forces going up against, um, you know, the the people trying to wake people up to this. But there's there's some potential here to start 2024 out on a good foot. Now, of course, even if the judge did rule that fluoride is a toxin, we probably will be locked in legal battles for years. I mean, there's going to be yeah. appeals. There's going to, you know, so and and who knows? Would the would the CDC even act if the judge says, hey, you know what? Based right. on the evidence, we know. Fluoride is a toxin. It violates the TSCA and, you know, action needs to be taken. But we know how the government works. That that could be a year of legal blah, blah, whatever. And in the meantime, people are still being exposed to this toxin. I mean, I hope they're, that's they're, not what happens, but it, it's possible. Yeah. They, think about this, guys. They're, they're literally going to be using, if that's the case, your tax dollars to to fight to keep you unhealthy. Like, they, like really think about how that looks. That This whole time, they know this is dangerous and they're, they have a vested interest in keeping this in your water. Like it just, this is, these are these examples that really highlight what the real structure is. Not every individual with their individual actions, but what the government as an entity is. It is not about your safety or your interests. I mean, at one point, maybe. <laughs> but it's just, it's so blatantly obvious with stuff just like this. And that's the craziest thing to me, as Derek just outlined, right? That what we're talking about here is that the information has already been revealed. It's been leaked. We already know what they're fighting for you not to see. And so that means if Derek can see it, if we could publish it on T-Lab, if others and Dell and others, I, David Knight, for example, gave you, gave T-Lab and you a shout out, 
was talking about the work recently. David Knight, who left Infowars, you know, they had kind of a riff. But so the, the idea being is that it's all there. So ask yourself, if it is there and we can prove it's real, and it is, it's not debatable, where are the bigger names? Where are the corporate media? Like, this is something that should matter to anybody who genuinely is interested in exposing this truth. But of course, this is how this tends to go, the flow of information, right? This won't matter for people in those fields until it's something that they could probably benefit from or that it's something that they're allowed to look into. The point is just, again, demonstrating our value, demonstrating Derek's excellent work and being ahead of this story so far that you'll realize that he was years ahead. And this is not about like, Derek's opinion on what fluoride is. We're talking again about information coming from a government report that proves all the things he's been saying, the IQ issues, and even worse, the you know, neuro, the, to the toxicity in general, and it just doesn't do anything. In fact, again, they fight to keep it in your water. I mean, it's just so mind-blowing to me, and I'm willing to bet you as soon as this becomes something prominent, if it, hopefully it does, either way, that's a win, but mark my words, it's going to be something that, that Tucker Carlson or somebody like that briefly points to, gives you half the story, and then probably fights for some other angle for why it still should be used from some Republican reason. Like, that's what I keep seeing, like the AI conversation, and maybe we can finish on this if you'd like to comment. Now the Republican side, Alex Jones just had natural news, Mike Adams on, and they were literally arguing about how this AI is bad, but here's how we can use AI to fight back. And again, I'm never one to dismiss that conversation using the kind of tech, but it's interesting for me. AI of all things, I think is the, you know, I'll, I'll use some tech to fight back, but that kind of concept, I'm completely on an absolute no go kind of mentality. But I think that's an interesting step and to show you how it all of a sudden becomes the, you know, the thing that was absolutely not possible is now, well, because the right wing people say we might consider it from this angle. Now, suddenly it works and the same in the left. Anyway, back to the fluoride. Go ahead. Well, if you want to comment on that, yeah. I'm all over the place. <laughs> no, it's good. I, I, I mean, I definitely could foresee something like what you're describing there, where we get to a point of, I mean, because the thing is, even people like Alex Jones, he was, he was one of the first person that I heard talking about this back in 2010. I don't hear him right. talk so much about fluoride anymore. And obviously, his, his views and his, his approach have changed quite a bit. He went from being the person warning everybody about the left-right paradigm to telling everybody to stay in the left-right paradigm. Mm -hmm. um, but nonetheless, I, I think that. There, you know, funky stuff like that could happen, you know, but at the end of the day, we have the truth. We have the information. I hope yeah. we get some more coverage. Thank you. know, I didn't see the David Knight coverage. So shout out to him. He does good work. I hope we get more people. I don't even really care about the credit at the end of the day. If the information gets out there. Yes, it's nice. Some people show us some love because they know that we've been putting in the work and I have sat through hours and hours of court proceedings to get this information to everybody. And that is tedious and, and sometimes mind numbing, but I'm prepared to do it again. I want to make it clear to everybody. I am going to San Francisco. I will be representing T-Lab. I'll be doing, I'll be going every day to the trial, which is, as I said, it's eight till five, pretty much depending on how long it goes. So I'll be in there taking notes. If they'll allow me to bring in my computer, I'll try to live tweet, you know, things like I did before. And uh, we are raising money for that. I'm, I'm grateful to see Ryan was showing me we're almost to a thousand dollars. We're aiming for about 6,000 and that's just kind of, we're going big for it to let everybody know. I've already bought my flight from uh, Mexico where I live to San Francisco. It cost me about $900. So the money there that reimburses me for the flights cost. That's great. If we could raise even more money, you know, we, we would like to get a hotel or something so I can be comfortable and safe and do the, the work I need to do for the potentially two weeks that we're going to be out there. And then it would be nice to be able to eat a little bit every day as well. So, I mean, this isn't going to like uh, buy me a new car or buy me some new shoes or anything like this. This is all straight going into the, the project so that I can be there 
in San Francisco in court every day. And then we'll probably be doing, if not daily, at least maybe probably weekly, uh, you know, biweekly uh, conversations between me and Ryan to keep you guys informed, especially as we get the bombshells, which I expect they are going to have all six witnesses from the plaintiffs, the fluoride action network, all the scientists are going to be there in person and the government scientists, the sort of what they call the rent coats are going to be there in person too. So this opens up even more opportunities for potentially interviewing some of these science scientists directly. So you don't even have to hear it directly from me or from Ryan. We'll talk to the scientists right after they testify in court and say, Hey, can you tell the people what you just said in court and why they should be concerned about this? So there's mm-hmm. a lot of potential here for getting some good content producing uh you know obviously i'm producing a number of written articles we'll be producing video reports interviews articles maybe it'll end up turning into a little mini mini documentary depending on how things go because as i said this could be the end of water fluoridation or at least a major step towards ending water fluoridation in the u.s so anybody who's got five bucks extra we appreciate it i appreciate it like i said it's all going into our fund here so we can make sure to give you guys the best coverage right well, and in general, I would like to at point though, and and it, it's it's this always ends up being the con- it's so interesting that we even have to have the conversation about credit. It's it's cl- to be clear, obviously everybody wants credit for their work. It's it's I, I think it's interesting that we're even at a point where people it's it's like almost like a naughty word to act like you want credit for your work. It's so interesting, but to be clear, that's the, my point was not about the credit. It's about the fact that in in like for instance, we do a cover cover something whatever that may be a topic. And we explicitly, you know, all the source material, we break it all down. We give you all the tools to be able to dive through it yourself. And then it gets bro- covered by somebody else in a very gigantic platform with a brief left, right wing angle with no source material. To me, it's predominantly important that we have, so the, the tools to be able to understand these things for yourself. My point being is that with the work you've been doing and the information that you've compiled, like going back to just this in general, about this, the overarching, all the amount of work you've done on this thread, you know, like all these different things, all have source material, all have things you can prove for yourself, as opposed to one stop kind of like, here's the story of fluoride and how it worked from a larger platform. Like, that's my concern. Obviously, you deserve credit for your work. That's a given. Like the fact that that's even debated is ridiculous to me. And not, not that that's what you were I saying. Appreciate that. Yeah, no, welcome, I, mean, I, I, I like credit as, as much as anybody else, but I hear what you're saying. It. But again, it's so important that we don't come at this from a left or right limited hangout type of view. And that's always why I think it's important that we focus on that as opposed to waiting for them to wait till it's safe. Like we all saw how COVID-19 went. There's a thousand of these large people that waited until it was safe to jump in, said all the things that were needed to be said. They got all this attention from people that were still afraid to even look at our work until they could, you know, that's how that works. And they got limited information and they're operating on limited you know, in general, understanding in general, but anyway, yeah. that that's where I oh, think, I, I think it's going. I, yeah. So sorry. To, I didn't well, I just want to say, I think that's, that is problematic. I'll just wrap up with this because mm-hmm. this isn't the first time and it won't be the last time we have this conversation. I would yeah. point to another example, which particularly annoys me still to this day. And that is the spars pandemic and Infowars yeah. reporting on it and claiming that they broke the story. And, you know, again, it's the internet, right? People, we borrow and take things, but I very much just uh, as a journalist who takes himself seriously, if I am sourcing Whitney Webb's research or somebody else's research, I'm at least going to mention them and link to their article, even if Always. I'm building off it, to make mm-hmm. sure people know, hey, I didn't find this out of nowhere. This isn't my original reporting. I might be building on it, adding some context, but here's where I found that piece of nugget. You know, So yeah. those things are nice. I think it's a courtesy that not everybody in the independent media understands or cares about, but um, well, I know that 
we have been ahead of the curve, you particularly with your reporting on COVID and now with Israel. And I've done my best to, you know, continue to be uh, a credible deep dive journalist who brings people's stories. You know, I'm especially the things that I talk about. This is November 2020, pretty early on in the COVID stuff. Mm-hmm. I strive to write about things that not everybody is going to be talking about. That's why I look for the stories like the pesticide one or the fluoride one, uh, the Utah ritual abuse. You know, there's been so many things that we've broken over the last couple of years. And maybe with time credit will come. Maybe it won't. But at the end of the day, if you guys are getting the information and you're helping us out by sharing this information, that's what really matters to me. You know, we can argue about credit once we beat these people. How about that? Yeah. Well, again, and I would say that's not even the argument for me. It's all this, all the source material, all the links, all the data that you don't get on a video conversation alluding to things and still and and yelling you right-wing talking points it's not the same thing as being able to understand and research and quite frankly even go oh okay i actually disagree with eric here and here and here right as opposed to just going tell me what i'm supposed to hear about this story like that's that's i mean our audience knows i do agree that's the biggest thing too is that is like you said you're gonna get a sort of five minute watered down version of the story, not even what you would be getting from somebody like us where you're going to get all those links and all those references. And so yeah. anyways, th- those people are just borrowing from our work and, you know, anyways, whether they realize it or not. So I am grateful though, for everybody who shares all my articles and uh, you know, I know some of them can be long and some of you enjoy long articles, some of you don't, but to every one of you who takes the time to read my words and to share it, I just want you to know that I do greatly appreciate that. And we see the number of views, we see the number of shares and every single one of them is, is appreciated. Hell yeah, man. Exactly. A good note to end on. I mean, we, we are reaching people and you know, again, like the last, honestly, the last thing I truly care about is some, I mean, I don't think I would be, I don't think I would do very well with fame, quite frankly. I think I would probably be very unhappy. (laughs) So I'm happy to be the person that's breaking, doing the work that is important and the peripheral. To be quite frank, like I, I don't, I don't think I would do too well with overwhelming attention. <laughs> I think it's not in me, but I think this is important because it's, it's honest, and there's and the and the work behind it comes from a place of integrity. And I'm speaking about you in particular, Derek. And I think what you do, it is an obvious shining through reality that you care about what you're doing. And so I hope to see more coming that coming in that regard. And I'm looking forward to the fluoride trial itself i'm actually really excited to see what comes out of that in the real time information and hopefully we see a win here man i mean genuinely see some kind of positive step to make sure people realize that there are good people fighting for good things and you're one of them brother so thank you for your work thank you so much appreciate you brother yeah and as always everybody out there question everything come to your own conclusions stay vigilant